We're about to complete a great quest. The Holy Grail, Dr. Jones. Oh, rats. <laughs> this is it. Look, the shield is the second marker. We found it. Indiana Jones is on the quest of a lifetime. But for some adventures, one Jones is not enough. Dad? Junior? Don't call me that, please. Follow me! I know the way! A race across three continents. And in this sort of race, there's no silver medal for finishing second. homeland of the enemy. Nazis. I hate these guys. Our situation has not improved. In his search for the Holy Grail. How dare you kiss me? my father in the belly of that steel beast Dad, Junior! you call this archaeology the quest for the grail is not archaeology it's a race against evil germany has declared war on the jones boys those people are trying to kill us i know dad it's a new experience for me happens to me all the time. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Have the adventure of your life. Keeping up with the Joneses. All right. How many of you guys have seen that movie? How many of you guys have seen the movie in the last five years? Anybody? The last three years? Anybody? How many of you guys saw it this year? All right. Wow. Look at this. This thing is enduring. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. And so I don't care if you've been enjoying this big screen series or not, but I have. And so I'm just... I just figured I'll just do what I want up here, and so uh, you can't get rid of, me, rid of me just yet. i got to still preach this sermon and then baptize 30-plus people tonight. we got over 30 people signed up. It's going to be awesome. So I love this movie because it's one adventure after the other. It's just an epic adventure. Now, how many of you guys know that the Bible is full of adventure stories? I mean, the Bible, nothing rivals the Bible when it comes to adventure. One of the stories I was thinking about this week is found in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. It says, it says this, it says, when he got into the boat, that's Jesus, his disciples followed him. Now, the way I teach the Bible or preach the Bible, I want you to use your imagination and your faith imagination with me as we're reading through the story. Put it on the big screen of your mind right now. It says, and suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea. So this huge storm, so that the boat was being covered by the waves, but Jesus was sleeping. And the disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to die. That's not the day you want to have, is it, right? The, how many of you guys have ever felt like that before? Like, Lord, save me, I'm going to die, okay? That's a bad time in your life, but that's what they were going through. That's an epic moment in their story. Now, every story, every movie, every good book has a moment in the story, and this is what makes them great, has a moment in the story where they have a situation that you don't know if they're going to come back from. They have a moment where it's like, if this ends right here, this is not a happy ending. If this ends right now, this is 
is not what we'd hoped for. It, this, is, this looks like an unhappy ending on the way. But that moment is what is part of what makes the story great. And so that's what we see right here with these disciples. They have this moment, Lord, we're going to die. And I think all of us have moments, and maybe you're in one of these right now, where you feel like, man, Lord, I just wish I could rewind the tape back a little bit so that I, I could just reset it to the way things were. Because I don't like where the story's at right now. I don't like the moment that I'm finding myself at. Because I just wish that I could just set the story into a new place. But every story has a moment where if we stop watching, every moment, movie has a moment that if we stop watching, it's a bad ending. It's kind of like if we were to stop watching right at this next clip. wasn't ready, Marcus. Five minutes would have been enough. See, if we stop watching the movie right now, how many of you guys know that's a bad ending, isn't it? <laughs> if we just stop watching the movie right there, that's, it's not what we'd hope for. So I'm going to give you the message here in just a phrase, okay? So you're, you're going to hear about it all throughout the message today. But here's the message, and it's just this. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Just keep watching Jesus. No matter where you're at in your story right now, if you stop watching, it's going to be a bad ending just by virtue of you stopping watching. There's all kinds of opportunities in our life for us to stop watching what Jesus will do, to stop watching Jesus in our life. But I guarantee you, if we continue to watch, if we continue to keep our eyes on Jesus, the story goes on. So let's finish up this story in Matthew 8, verse 26. So Jesus says to them, he says, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was at once a great and wonderful calm, a perfect peacefulness. The, wonder, the, the men wondered in amazement, saying, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Look how close they were to everything changing. It was virtually the next breath that Jesus was getting ready to take. Some of you guys are tempted right now to stop watching, to keep your eyes, to, to, to turn your eyes away from Jesus, and it's, you're right on the doorstep. The very next breath, the very next moment, the very next action is going to unlock everything. Some of us are, are as we stop watching Jesus. But how do you guys know that God knows the end from the beginning? God knows the end of our story. He gives us a hint here in the scripture. If we go to the end of the book, how many of you guys know we know the end too? It's called We Win. That's the end of the story. But Jesus has written your story too. 
And if you stop watching him in the middle of your story, it's not going to end like you want it to. But even so, I just want to give some, some of you guys an encouragement here this morning that I believe some of you feel like you've dropped the ball and you quit watching and you lost hope and you lost faith in some area. That even if you're like the disciples and they did, they dropped the ball, that Jesus will still be right there and he can still move the mountain. He can still move in your situation. If we could just turn our eyes back on Jesus and see what he's going to do. If we keep watching the movie, good things happen. So let's keep watching the movie. See, that's the way we want the story to end, right? That's how we want it. See, if we keep watching, keep our eyes on Jesus. There's another spot in the Bible that talks about a boat and a storm. And it's, found, it's a very famous story. It's found in Matthew chapter 14, verse 25. It says, In the fourth watch of the night, he, that's Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it's I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he says, come. So Peter got out of the boat. You talk about adventure. Peter got out of the boat and began walking on the water and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Peter was doing all right, wasn't he? Until he took his eyes off Jesus. I mean, sometimes Peter gets a bad rap, but he's the only other one that we know of that walked on water, right? And yet still Jesus said, Oh, you of little faith. Now, how many of you guys, I don't know if there's anybody here who would maybe, you know, think that we have enough faith to walk on water. I mean, I would like to, but I don't know too many of us, when we have that conversation, most of us think, I don't have enough faith. I don't have as much, I don't have big enough faith. Here's an interesting thing about that word uh, little. Whenever you study that out, it's not so much the amount of faith or the size of faith, but the, the duration of faith or the brevity of faith. It wasn't so much they had tiny faith, it's that they had short faith. It wasn't that they didn't have enough faith, they didn't have it long enough. See, whenever he, he was doing great as long as his eyes were fixed on Jesus, but because he had short faith, he didn't have the endurance faith. You see, a lot of us were looking around saying, Lord, I just wish I had as much faith as that person. But what we mean is like somehow big faith. But that's not what he's talking about. He's simply talking about keep your eyes on Jesus' faith. 
See, right now, some of you guys are, are just discouraged because you're sinking right now. You're looking at the waves. You're looking at the wind. And you think, I just don't have big enough faith. No, it's simply that you have brief faith. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. And so what I want to do today is expose some of Satan's uh, schemes. Because how many of you guys know that he's working against us, right? He's working against us to try to get our eyes off of Jesus however he can. What are some of the ways? I just want to deal with a couple of them today of how, Jesus, or of how Satan tries to get our eyes off of Jesus. And to illustrate this, I want to put up a picture. So let's go ahead and put up a picture. This is Harry Houdini. How many of you guys have heard of him before? The great escape artist. He did all of these escapes and all sorts of fun, interesting stuff. And, and it was just crazy. He drew crowds like crazy. Well, the reason he's pictured here with an elephant is because in Jan on January 7th, 1918, in New York's Hippodrome Theater, it was the largest theater in the world, he made an elephant disappear. He had a large crate. He, they walked out the elephant. They put him in a crate. And in front of thousands of people, he made the elephant disappear. He made an elephant disappear. Are you guys getting this? Okay. How did he do it? What was his secret? He did it. He did, it's very simple. He simply got them to look at something else. How does Satan try to get, how does he try to diminish Jesus in our life? He simply gets us to look at something else. Because Jesus is not going anywhere. Jesus is as strong as ever. But if Satan can get us to look at something else, then our eyes are obviously off of Jesus and we've lost our connection to power. Now what I'm talking about is a very practical thing called distractions. And I've talked about it before many times, but I believe that this is one of the biggest areas that we don't take serious enough in our life. But I, prom I, I, I guarantee that distractions, they stunt our spiritual growth more than we think they do. And I'm going to prove that, at least hopefully give you some things to think about on how that happens. But distractions stunt our spiritual growth. Satan's goal is to get us to look anywhere but Jesus. It doesn't matter if it's a good thing or a bad thing. As long as he can get our eyes off Jesus, he has won. And he does it by confusion. He does it by distractions. He does it by cluttering up our thoughts. And so I want us to watch this next clip and watch, watch for the very end because there's something significant at the very end. So let's watch. On Holy Ground. These columns over here were brought back as spoils of war after the sacking of Byzantium during the Crusades. Now, please excuse me. The library is closing in a few moments. I'll arrange for us to stay a little longer. Marcus, I've seen this window before. Where? Right here. Dad's diary. You see? Look, Indy. The Roman numerals. Dad was onto something here. Well, now we know the source of the numbers, but we still don't know what they mean. Dad sent me this diary for a reason. Until we find out why, I suggest we keep it to ourselves. Find something? Uh, yes, three, seven, and ten. That window seems to be the source of the Roman numeral. My God, I must be blind. Dad wasn't looking for a book about the knight's tomb. He was looking for the tomb itself. Don't you get it? The tomb is somewhere in the library. You said yourself it used to be a church. Look. Three. Three. Seven. Seven. Ten. And ten. Now, where's the ten? Look around for the ten. 
This marks the spot. Okay, what gets me about that clip every time, if you haven't figured it out, why did he have to climb the stairs to see the big X on the floor? I mean, they're discerning all these little details in this thing, but he can't quite see the X, so he's got to get a bigger view. But yet, at the same time, that illustrates exactly what happens to us. How many times are we so distracted that what should be obvious is hard for us to see? That's what distractions do. Distractions stunt spiritual growth. Now, we know this in a lot of ways, but I'm going to make a case that deep internal spiritual growth can only happen in a distraction-free zone. I believe it can happen peripheral in other ways, but I'm going to explain to you why I think at the deep level it happens in distraction-free zone. Research is proving uh, over and over again that constant micro-interruptions to our day, like checking the news, checking the weather, checking your Facebook, checking your Instagram. I mean, how many of you guys would marvel at how many times you open up your phone in a day, right? Or whatever. Those micro-interruptions, they cause uh, a fragmented attention that is permanently ruining our ability to concentrate. Study after study, and to think just when free thought, to otherwise to daydream. It's, a, it's ruining our ability to do that. Now, it turns out that this free space is essential to developing spiritual maturity. Now, here's what I discovered as I was reading the last few weeks. There is, in 1929, there was a researcher by the name of Hans who, who figured out, or at least he thought, that your brain, even while you're not doing anything, is still working really hard. All of his colleagues said that wasn't true. He developed some electrical thing to monitor the brain, and he was trying to prove it, but no one believed him. He he was written off. Later on in the 1990s, when the MRI machine came on the scene, uh, that that seemed to confirm the colleague's uh, stance that, you know, whenever you're doing a certain activity, blood flows to certain areas of the brain. And so that seemed to confirm that Hans was wrong. But in the last few years, there's been other research on different levels that have, have uh, really proved that while you're doing nothing, that your brain is working in a, at a level they had previously not thought possible. And the more research proved this, this theory, that it discovered that activity during rest, it's like this mysterious and complex circuit that stirred to life when people were daydreaming, it became known as the default mode network. So how many of you guys are daydreamers? Anybody daydream? Okay. How many of you guys, you used to daydream, but it's hard to daydream, right? We, I'm telling you, you're going you're gonna to find some time to daydream after this, okay? So, so they, they seem to discover something called the default mode network. How many of you guys have ever been just doing something like, like we heard Pastor Mike Plain talking about mowing the yard last week, or you've been in the shower, and all of a sudden you just had an epiphany that solved a problem? Anybody ever had that happen to you before? You're like, I wasn't thinking about anything, nothing was happening, and boom, it came out of nowhere. Well, this, is, this research is saying that didn't come out of nowhere. Your brain it was working on a subconscious level. It was working things out. It was in this default mode network, and it was continuing to work. Researchers from the University of Southern California argue that when we are resting, the brain is anything but idle, and that downtime is, in fact, essential, listen to this, to mental processes that, listen to this, this is crazy, that affirm our identities, that develop our understanding of human behavior, and instill an internal code of ethics. Processes that depend on the default mode network. Downtime is an opportunity for the brain to make sense of what's recently learned, to surface fundamental unresolved tensions in our lives, and to swivel its powers of reflection away from the external world towards itself. 
I read all of that and say all of those things that were just described are things that need to happen to us at a deep spiritual level if we're going to find out who we are in Christ, affirming our identity, if we're going to reconcile some of the things of right and wrong and talk about all of those things. Can you guys see that in there? Isn't that amazing that scientists are saying that these significant things at the deep level of who you are, of developing your character, your morals, of your identity only happen through downtime mainly happen through downtime. For sure, they suggest that. That to me is crazy. So that means to me that downtime is actually necessary for spiritual growth. Now, we put that up against our lifestyle. (laughs) How many of you guys want to grow spiritually? Anybody? How many of you guys, if you look, if we were to say that downtime is the only time when spiritual growth happens, how much spiritual growth would be happening in your season of life right now? Isn't it challenging? Isn't it? It's challenging because some of us in our fast-paced society, it's hard. And I talked about this a couple weeks ago. I, I realized with the Sabbath, but I believe it's more significant than we know. And so I believe it's important for sure for hearing God's voice to have downtime. I believe it's important to have spiritual maturity. And so distractions, if Satan can fill our life with distractions, our eyes are off Jesus and we don't grow. You think, how could it be that simple? I'm telling you, it's probably more simple than we know. Now, how do we get this downtime? See, we have an apple tree that we got a couple years ago. We planted it. And the first year it had some fruit on it. But then the last couple years, it's nothing, nothing. And so I don't know a lot about trees or how to, about fruit trees, but I know if they're not giving you fruit, it's not a good fruit tree, right? It's just not good. And so I also know that I don't know very much about trees and that I should have been what? Pruning the tree the whole time. Because if you don't prune the tree, the tree will use its energy towards branches instead of fruit. How many of you guys can recognize in your life a whole bunch of branches that aren't bearing fruit? You see, if we don't prune some things back, all of a sudden our energy is spent on branches of our life that aren't bearing any fruit. And this is Satan's scheme to get us to have so many branches, to not be pruned back, to not be able to bear any significant fruit. Some of us need to prune relationships. We need to prune our time back. We need to prune uh, our, our energy, emotional energy. We need to prune back what we're getting all worked up over. We need to prune back uh, different every weight or a sin that hinders us, anything, any excess baggage. The reason we don't do that is because it's painful, isn't it? It's very painful. And sometimes we just don't know how. Sometimes we're looking at it and we're saying, I don't know what to cut. And we need the wisdom of God or we're in a season where we have to wait till that next season. But John chapter 15, verse 1 and 2 says, I am the true vine. My father's a vine dresser. In other words, God's in this too. God's in this whole process. He wants to be a part of it. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that continues to bear fruit, he repeatedly, repeatedly, prunes. So that, why? Not so that it will be less, but so that it will bear more fruit, even richer and finer fruit. How many of you guys would like some richer and finer fruit in your life? Oh man, me too. So what we see here, according to scripture, is that there is a prune growth connection. If you want to grow, it only comes through pruning. There's a prune growth connection. You cannot take them apart. And I'd like to say it this way. Pruning determines potential. It absolutely does. 
In a tree, if you prune it, that determines the potential of that tree. If you don't prune it, you've, you've limited the potential. Pruning determines potential. And, and let me say it even stronger. Some of it is want, want God to grow our finances. We want God to grow our relationships. We want God to grow our ministries, to grow our marriages. We want God to, to grow uh, areas of our life, our spiritual growth. But if God can't trust you with the pruning, he won't trust you with the growing. If God can't trust you in the pruning, he can't trust you with the growing because there's a prune-growth connection and pruning determines potential. See, the only way for us to prune is it's painful for the moment, right? It's painful. Pain comes with any change that happens in our life. It's painful. Some of us, how many of you guys have a high threshold of pain? Anybody? Just go ahead. You have a high threshold. I could throw a brick at your head and you wouldn't even feel it, right? Others of you guys, how many of you guys have a low threshold of pain that if the temperature drops one degree in this room, you're like going to walk away from the Lord right now. I mean, that's it. You're just walking out of this place and not coming back. That's okay. Wherever you're at on the scale, it's fine. It's fine. Just know that if you want to go further, it's going to require some pain. And I mean good pain. I'm not talking about harmful pain. I'm talking about good pain that we just have to go through. This is one of my favorite quotes from Craig Rochelle, and I've said it many times, but I believe it's, it's so crucial. Some of you guys, this may be a word from God right now for you, okay? Here it is. The difference between where you are and where God wants you to be is the painful decision you're unwilling to make. To cut a relationship, to cut a thing out of your life, an activity, to cut a bad attitude, to cut a sin, to cut a luck, whatever it is. The difference between where you are and where God wants you to be is the painful decision that you're unwilling to make. See, Satan's scheme is to get our eyes off Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. In that moment when your eyes are solely fixed on him and there aren't wild branches and there aren't distractions, at that deep level, God can begin to work in your heart. Now, there's one other thing I want to deal with today, and so I just want you to watch this next clip because there's a significant part at the end that we're going to deal with. So let's watch. We have got it. Come on. Elsa. Elsa, don't move. It's ours, Indy. Yours and mine. Elsa, don't cross the seal. The night warned us not to take the grail from here. Indiana. 
Let it go. I'm not going to sing a song, but just let it go. One of the, whenever we have a delay of something in our life that seems so close that we can almost touch it. You guys ever have those moments in your life where it's been going on for a while and it's like, I can, oh, I'm so close to getting this thing I've been seeking after. I'm so close. It seems to be like taunting you, but it's like so close you can touch it. Whenever you have a delay like that, here's what happens. It, it causes us, it causes something to happen in us that is very subtle, but I believe is huge. It's huge. This is what Satan uses. Here it is. Delays tempt us to shift our goalposts. Notice that Indy, in order to put his focus on the grail, he had to turn away his focus from the Father. And eventually he says, let it go, because they realized at the end that it wasn't about the grail. It was about the beauty of Christ that was represented in it. And yet, for just a moment, it almost all came crashing down because they had shifted the goalpost of the wind being Jesus to the wind being this thing. The Proverbs, this is a famous scripture, but Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. I heard this taught on a while ago, and it really just changed the way I looked at it because it's, it's not the thing deferred, but when hope is deferred. It's not when the Holy Grail is out of reach, but when hope has been shifted. And why is that important? Because, and I just kind of say it this way, that the only time you can have hope for something is when you don't have the thing you hope for. (laughs) Because if you had it, you wouldn't need hope for it, right? So hope is only possible when you don't have what you're longing for. Now, the other thing about hope is that faith, which is, how many of you guys know we live by faith, we move by faith, God acts in faith, by faith. Faith can only happen, it can't, well, let me say it this way, faith can't happen without hope. Watch this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So, in other words, hope came before faith. If you take hope away, faith cannot grow. Because you have to have hope before faith can come says, faith is the assurance of things that have been hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. But it's important where our hope is. Our hope cannot be in the thing. Our hope has to be in the person, Jesus Christ. And whenever we shift our hope away from the Father or from Jesus to the thing, then guess what? Satan has got us to take our eyes off Jesus. He's got us to get into a, a mode where we're, we're not only distracted, but he uses delays to get our eyes off of Jesus. Can I just say it again by faith? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus, no matter what. Keep our eyes on Jesus, not the grail, but on Jesus. Have you guys have ever, I'm gonna have the worship team come back up. How many of you guys have ever been like me? You've been like in the kitchen or something and you wanna go do something. So you go down the hall, you leave the kitchen, you go down the hall, you go down the stairs, you go through the family room, you go out the door into the garage, all the way up to the workbench of the garage. And then you forgot why you came. <laughs> like what? What? And you have to sit there for a little bit. Like what? I'm, it's like, I'm not even that old. Like what's going on here? You know? And uh, I forgot what I was doing. And I was thinking about that this week. And I thought, you know what? Sometimes we're like that with God, aren't we? 
we're doing something, just going through it, we're doing something, pretty soon we look up at one moment, we forget, why am I even doing this? We've been serving Jesus so intensely that we forgot we're supposed to be loving Jesus. We've been trying to solve a problem so strongly that we forgot that we're simply supposed to be looking at Jesus and trusting Jesus. We forgot that it's not about the Holy Grail, but it's about Jesus himself. I'll say it even stronger. Jesus isn't just the solution to your problem. So many times when we're going through a situation or a problem, we look at Jesus to solve the problem as the solution to the problem. Jesus isn't the solution to your problem. He's the answer, period. He's the answer, period. He's not just a means to an end. Jesus is the goal. He is the win. He is the end. He's the Alpha and Omega. If everything else falls apart, as long as I have Jesus, that's all I need. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. It's not about what we're looking to. It's not about the delay. It's, not, it, it, it's that Satan will use anything he can to get our eyes off Jesus, even if he makes Jesus, even if he gets us to think that Jesus is the hero to our problem. Jesus is not the hero to your problem. Jesus is simply the hero. The end of the day. So many times our walk with God, our prayer life with God is, Jesus, would you be the hero to my problem? Instead of Jesus, you're all I need. I know this is a very simple message today. Just keep your eyes on Jesus, but I hope that you've caught the spirit of it today. So would you guys stand up with me because I want to pray over us because some of us just need to let go of our holy grail and get back to loving Jesus. Some of us need to just turn our eyes. That song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That song has just been kind of going over in my heart all week long. It's really pretty simple, you know. I can just look to Jesus. Would you close your eyes for just a moment and just, just begin to look back to Jesus. Turn your face back away from whatever the wind is or the wave or the storm or the grail or whatever it is and just say, God, I'm going to look. Maybe you've forgotten why you're doing what you're doing. Just say, God, I take the moment right now to remember that it's all about you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much that you have our best in mind, that you know the end from the beginning. Lord, we're not going to stop in the middle of the movie. We're not going to stop in the middle of the story. Lord, we look up with anticipation that if we can just continue to look at you, it's all going to be good. It's all going to be good. Lord, I pray that by faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that message would get drilled down into a deep part of somebody here today. Be a game changer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship one more time.